Paul says in 1 Corinthians verse 40, or excuse me, verse 35 here, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but a mere grain, perhaps weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. And there is a spiritual body. And Father, we just humbly ask for the grace of God once again as we continue now in our worship of you by just submitting our heart and our mind and our attentiveness to the truth of the word of God. We just pray, Lord, that you would prepare us by your Holy Spirit's ministry. And as always, that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking things to our hearts through what you have spoken to us in the word of God originally. So Lord, speak through the word of God this morning by the power of your spirit's ministry and give us an ear to hear. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, we live in a culture today that in my opinion has become very, we might say, body conscious. That is, people seem to be overly focused on their body, and people in unhealthy ways kind of are consumed, it seems now, with their appearance of their body or the presentation of their body. And so either you have those individuals who really like displaying their vehicle, and if you go out to the beach, you'll see that very clearly, There are those who really like to display the model that they have. And then there are others on the other side of that are perhaps wrestling and very insecure with their appearance. And they have a really hard time because they overly focus on their physical appearance and feel ashamed or embarrassed in some ways. And then, of course, there are others that are so health conscious in the way their lifestyle is and the choices they make about how they treat their body or take care of their body. Uh, You would think as if they imagine they're going to live forever because they just tend to focus on their body so much in the way they make all their decisions. Well, look, God's word tells us, despite your view on your current body, that body is temporary. It is a body that is disposable. One day, there's coming a day when there's going to be a trade-in, and you're going to receive an upgraded model. And that's what our text is talking about here this morning. As we've been going through 1 Corinthians 15 together, we've seen Paul's been spending an entire chapter emphasizing and trying to educate the church regarding the vital importance of bodily resurrection, that is life after death in a physically resurrected body. And he's talked about how our Lord Jesus resurrected back to life after death in a new glorified body and how you and I as well as his followers shall experience the same. Now, as we come to verse 35, Paul then picks up saying here, but someone will say, verse 35, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Now you can tell whether Paul is addressing direct questions or if he's just perhaps even anticipating that there are those who will argue, and those who will mock and question the resurrection of the dead. Paul knew there were and no doubt would be mockers trying to find problems 
with the ways of God and how God will work. And in fact, there were mockers in Jesus' day as well. And in fact, regarding the very same thing of resurrection, in Mark chapter 12, we see that passage there where it says that some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus. And they asked him, saying this sort of ridiculous story, Teacher, Moses wrote to us, if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind, leaves no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up an offspring for his brother, the law of Leverite marriage, where they would do this to continue to perpetuate the lineage. But then they said, now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying, he left no offspring. The second took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. Now, by that point, I wouldn't drink the coffee anymore. Something's going on here. But, of course, this is a facetious story just to try and mock the resurrection. Say, so the seven had her, and they all left no offspring. Last of all, then the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? Which of the seven will be married to her? They were trying to ask. For all seven had her as a wife. And Jesus answered simply and said this, You are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures and the power of God. Interesting, Jesus had to rebuke religious leaders because he said, your problem is you're ignorant of what the word of God says and you don't believe in the miraculous power of God. And Jesus had to challenge them as they were trying to mock this reality. Well, Paul anticipates here, we see in verse 35, two different questions people would ask. The first question seen in verse 35 is how? How is this really going to happen? Paul, you're talking about this resurrection of the dead and that we're going to get a new body. How is that really going to work? He says there, some will say, how are the dead raised up? In other words, how's that possible? Now, Paul's simple answer, if you get nothing else out of the teaching this morning, Paul's simple answer is basically going to be this. By God. That's how. Because we're talking about something God's going to do, not something a man's going to do. He said, by God, that's how it's going to happen. It's going to be performed by a miracle of an all-powerful God. In Acts 26, Paul said to King Agrippa there, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? In other words, do you really think anything's incredible or difficult for God to do? And again, if we ever find ourselves struggling with something that God's word says will come to pass or something God's word promises will be done for us or God can accomplish in our life. And we find ourselves in our own human reasoning because we do sometimes going, but how's that going to happen practically? I know it says it in the word of God, but I just don't see how that's possible. How is that possibly going to happen in my life? I just can't see it. Well, here's the answer. It's going to happen by the power of almighty God, by the power of a God who has no limitations. The Bible tells us very clearly, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And in fact, the answer comes in the scripture. Another passage says there is nothing too hard for the Lord. And that is the simple answer. How will it happen? It will happen by the power of God. The second question Paul senses would be asked in verse 35 is, and with what body then do they come? In other words, what kind of body will we have when we're raised from the dead? Now, it is the second question in verse 35 that Paul now takes some time to discuss a little and what our section here is addressing this secondary question asked in verse 35. With what body will they come? Well, Paul now begins to expound upon that answer. He starts out verse 36 being very politically correct. Foolish one. (laughs) What you sow, he would have been censored a long time ago, wouldn't he? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body, he says, verse 38, as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So Paul's initial answer there is he says, the problem from the start is you're thinking like a mere man. And he says, that's a foolish way to reason when it comes to the things of God. 
God is beyond human ability. So he says, it's foolish to think like a mere man, how will something happen? And what Paul begins to show us here is that the resurrection is much like sowing seed in the earth. And he uses kind of an agricultural analogy that we sow a seed or a plant bulb in hopeful assurance, and then by God's power and creation, it blossoms afterwards and it gives rise, springing upward into a newly transformed that is different but comes from that original seed that was first planted in the earth. So, what you plant or bury is planted in one form and then it comes forth and is transformed into a new form. And he's saying agriculture and the way that things work, the agrarian society they were, gave a perfect illustration that the seed is first buried and then once it's buried, as the power of God begins to work, it springs forth into something new and encoded within that seed, buried in the ground, is everything necessary for life. And then God's power mixes with that and something springs forth. He's saying every day we have an illustration of resurrection really seen in plant life. That is the resurrection of the body, Paul's going to tell us here, is much like seed time and harvest. Just like seeds are sown in one form and then they rise up in a different form out of the ground producing a future harvest. It's totally different from the seed, but those two forms are connected. The seed and what it produces are different, but yet they are connected to one another. Again, an illustration of that, if you've ever planted before a tulip bulb, a tulip bulb is one of the most ugly-looking things you could possibly imagine, right? But you take this ugly-looking tulip bulb and you plant it or bury it, if you would, in the dirt in the fall, and then in spring, what was planted in an ugly form then springs forth into this beautifully different thing that comes out of the original. It's a blend of the old, yet it yields forth with transformation, something beautifully new and different from what was connected to what was originally planted. And that new form, Paul says here, it's not what was buried, it's a better version of what was buried. That's what Paul is trying to address here when he says in verse 37, what you sow, that is plant into the ground, the seed, the tulip bulb, whatever it may be. He says, you don't sow the body that shall be, right? You don't plant a seed and then a seed comes up or you don't plant a tulip bulb and then a tulip bulb comes up or nobody would buy tulips. He says, you don't sow the body that's going to come forth But he says, instead, perhaps some weed or other form, but then God gives it a body that is a different body, a new body, as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So in nature, we see many examples of this. You plant a tiny acorn, you get a big, strong, vibrant, beautiful tree, an oak tree afterwards. Well, in the same way, Paul says here, our body physically, like that tulip bulb, it dies first. It is then planted or put into the ground from which it came. We'll talk about that later. And then God raises that original body in a new glorified, resurrected form by his miraculous power, bringing forth not the body that was sown into the ground, but a different and new body that comes from the original as the miraculous power of God works. Now, both of these phenomenon whether it's the seed that's planted or whether it's the physical human body that is buried, we may not fully understand mentally how the process all works, right? But nonetheless, that phenomenon is real and it happens because the power of God brings it to pass. And one thing is for sure, I tell you this, and it's what Paul is trying to emphasize in our section here, the new eternal body is gonna be vastly superior in its form in its capacities compared to what we have now in these earthly bodies. Paul says of it here in verse 38 that it's a body that pleases God. I expect great improvements. I expect something far superior than what we get to live in and function in now. Yet we will retain our own identity in this process. Because you notice he says there in verse 38 as God gives it a new body as he pleases, he says, but to each seed, just like within nature, its own body. In other words, even as a seed bears forth the fruit or yields the fruit according to its own kind of seed, 
So when you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree. And he says, even as the seed produces according to its own kind, the idea here is each of us will still bear our own individuality and our own identity in which we are sown. Now, I expect far superior upgrades, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be sown into the earth the way you are now and be raised like Tom Cruise or whoever. I I don't know. You're still going to look like you because we want to know you are you. Because when we see one another, we want to recognize one another and we're going to be identifiable and recognizable. Jesus was recognized when he raised from the dead in his glorified body. He didn't have to wear a name badge. They knew it was Jesus. He was in a glorified, resurrected body, but it bared that own original body that was once sown. Paul goes on, verse 39, to tell us all flesh, he says, is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are, it says, celestial bodies, and then also terrestrial bodies are of the earth. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is is another. There's one glory of a sun and then another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. And even one star, he says, differs from another star in its glory. His conclusion, verse 42, he says, the beginning of it, so also is the resurrection of the dead. So here Paul's reminding them how God has designed and created different kinds of animals different types of plants, different objects, inanimate objects in the earth, even in the solar system. And they all have their own special, unique makeup and design and form according to what their function is in the created order, in their own environments. And he's going to say, look, if God can do this, then what is so amazing about God being able to give us one type of earthly body and then giving us a spiritual body for the next dimension when we enter into that realm. He says, verse 39 there, he says, all flesh is not the same flesh as we see this even now, he says. There's one kind of flesh of men. That is, we have a certain type of body composition and makeup, but our bodies are distinctively different than certain things in the animal kingdom, than the fishes, Then the birds of the air, we have a certain type of flesh and a bodily makeup God has given to us. And yet, he says, there are even distinctions among the animal kingdom. He says, you have fish who are created what? For the aquatic environment. So they're created and designed with distinctions in their bodily composition and makeup that's suited to that environment to be able to function by living in the water. And then you have birds, They have a completely different bodily composition and makeup. Why? Because their primary environment is in the sky. And so they're created with an aerodynamic ability to be able to live in such a way, even with hollow bones and so forth, so that they can primarily function in that specific environment. And Paul's point here is, is look, there are different types of environments in different realms, and therefore God gives each body what it needs to function in the realm in which it exists in. He even says here in verse 40, that's why there are celestial bodies, that is the stars and the solar system, and there are terrestrial bodies, that is objects here that are of this earth. So there are things made for the environment of earth to live and function on the physical earth. And then there are other objects and things God has made, planets and moon and stars and sun that are made to live in the celestial and solar system. And to function in that environment, which is vastly different from our environment. And Paul's analogy to connect this, he says, verse 42 to us, so also in the same way, he says, I'm I'm giving you an analogy, so also is the resurrection of the dead. That is, if God created an earthly body for us to exist and function in this life now on the earth, and it's made for the earth, it makes sense that one day when we depart from this earth and we enter into a spiritual eternal realm, that God is going to give us a new spiritual body that is made for that realm to live and to exist there. That's why Paul is going to say, we'll see next week in our chapter, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's going to say, but we all have to be changed. He's going to say this mortal 
has to put on immortality because we're going to enter into a completely different realm. We need a body that is suited for eternal glory, and that's what that resurrection body is going to give to us. It is still going to be a material body with a physical frame, but it will be different in the frame, different in the composition and the makeup with new glory and splendor because it's an immortal, eternal body designed for that eternal realm, for a spiritual existence in the presence of God. Paul says in verse 41, which is interesting to take note of there, look at it, he says, there's one glory of the sun, that is the sun possesses a certain type of glory, brilliance and shining, and then there's another glory of the moon. Now, the glory of the sun is much brighter and more brilliant than the glory of the moon. And then he says, there's also varying glories among the stars. He says, one star differs from another star in its glory. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the body. Now, this is interesting what Paul's saying here. He's saying, even as the sun shines with greater glory than the moon, and there are varying degrees of glory among the stars that shine, so also is the resurrection of the dead and the new bodies that we receive. Perhaps Paul could be indicating here there are going to be different degrees of glory that will be experienced in the resurrection body, that some perhaps may even possess a greater glory than others in the eternal dimension, though we all share to some degree. And I would venture to say that likely that's probably going to be dependent upon how we live as a follower of Jesus now. And what we do in these earthly bodies will determine that. It's interesting, Daniel 12 declares this. Listen to what Daniel says in chapter 12. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So perhaps the Bible could be indicating that there are degrees of glory and brilliance that we possess as a part of this eternal reward we will one day receive according to how we live and serve the Lord now in this body, that some of that to degree will be dependent upon our existence and perhaps even maybe to some degree the enjoyment and the brilliance that we experience when we're in the presence of the Lord and his glory. Paul goes on in verse 42, after having said, so also is the resurrection of the dead, to then tell us the body is sown, notice he says, in corruption, but then it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown, he says, in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but then it's raised, he says, a spiritual body. There is, he says, a natural body, and then there is, notice, also a spiritual body. So Paul's emphasizing here how our bodies are going to undergo this amazing transformation. And Paul's trying to emphasize here how the body will be sown in one way when it is planted or buried in the earth, and yet how the body, the resurrection body, will be raised in the complete opposite way he's making contrast here the body's planted or sown into the earth this way but then it is raised in a completely opposite way so the first contrast he shows there in verse 42 is he says the body is sown in corruption but then when it's raised it's raised in incorruption that is these present bodies if you haven't noticed they're always in the process of deteriorating that's the idea of corruption. Something is corrupting. It's deteriorating. We basically move from birth towards our human end, which is dying. And every person in that process goes through deteriorating health to greater and greater degrees. It's part of the natural process of life. We're born. We begin to develop. And then we gradually begin to fade and deteriorate in our health and in our bodily capacities. These temporary bodies, which the Bible calls just tents, a tent's not a permanent dwelling, thanks be to God if you've ever camped. It's a temporary dwelling. The Bible says our bodies are like tents. 
So because of that, our health begins to fail in different ways. We begin to see our health breaking down and deteriorating. Our bodily parts don't work correctly the way they once did. Don't say amen. We'll know how old you are. It's different degrees. That happens to all of us. Our body processes begin to fail. They don't work the way they once did. Our bodily appearance begins to sag and to droop, and things don't hold shape the way that they once did, right? This is a process we're all experiencing. As our bodies are deteriorating and corrupting, as we age, the body decays and begins to go bad, just like fruit or a food that spoils with time. Or just like an appliance with conditional constant use, an appliance eventually wears out. And he's saying the same with our bodies. They're corruptible temporary bodies and they begin to break down and wear out and deteriorate. But the good news is he says this new body, he says the new body is characterized by incorruption. That is, it never breaks down. It never deteriorates in its condition. The power and the glory and everything you get in that new body, it's permanent. It never falls apart. It stays healthy. It never changes form. The superior capacity of that new body is immortal. He says next in our text here that the present body also, he says, is buried or sown in dishonor, but then it's raised up contrast in glory. Again, the present body is sown in dishonor or buried in dishonor. And again, if we think of realities, oftentimes due to deteriorating health prior to a person's death, a part of that process, the bodily condition begins as a person is dying to become a dishonor to that person. Right? Because as a person is moving towards the death process, their deteriorating body doesn't, in a very honorable way, really represent who they really were their whole life long. As their health fails and their processes begin to deteriorate, people who were once healthy and strong and vibrant in the way that we knew them all their life. And who they were and what they represented when they were young and strong and vibrant. Often a person's body is in a much different condition, is it not? As they're dying and in death, in such a way it's almost their body begins to dishonor who they really are. Because it's not really who they were. But it's that deterioration process. And so the body is kind of sown in dishonor. It seems like a dishonor to see someone in that failing health condition because they deteriorate in their health condition so much. And if that weren't enough, then when they do die, we take their physical frame, which they dwelt in on this earth, and, and then we, we perform a burial process or a cremation process. And though we honor our loved one and celebrate their life, it almost seems like a dishonor to dispose of their physical frame by just burying it into the ground. It almost seems like a dishonor to do such. But yet the Bible tells us that from dust our bodies' physical frames were originally taken, and to dust, back to the earth, the physical body does return. However, that same body sown in dishonor due to its weak and failed condition is going to be, the Bible says, miraculously raised and transformed by the power of God in such a way that we get the honor of God bestowed upon his servant where he gives us this new glorified body. And after God watching his servant suffer or deteriorate, God gloriously restores a new body to them, which restores health and removes pain and takes away all of their earthly things that plagued them in their body while they were living, and gives them a brand new spiritual glorified body that far surpasses even their old earthly body when it was in its prime. And God rewards his servants by giving them this body of glory after the dishonor as their health deteriorated. You know, I think another way that as Paul alludes to here, how our body present body is sown in dishonor but raised in glory that this could apply as well is our present bodies these physical bodies now because they're under the curse of sin we would be 
ignorant to dismiss the reality that these present bodies in their fallen condition, our earthly body often dishonors God. Because Paul said, I know that in me, Romans 7, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And you know as well as I do this morning that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and your spirit is redeemed and Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I keep doing. And he says, I find there's a law present within me that is in my members, like the law of gravity pushing us down. He says, there's like this law of of sin and evil within me in this earthly body in my members. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And, And the struggle that we all know as Christians, how our sin nature is always dragging us down, causing us to do at times dishonorable things in our bodies. Jesus said, our spirit is willing, but yet our flesh, it's weak. And so often there's that frustration of our earthly body causing us to do things that dishonor God, that, that, that Paul says here, look, yeah, that body, it, it's sown into the ground in dishonor, but once it's sown into the ground in dishonor, he says, here's the good news. Your new body, it's going to be a body that's characterized by the glory of God and all it will be used for is to glorify God forever. And I don't know about you, but how wonderful to know that your glorified version of your future eternal body is not going to have a sin nature to wrestle with. You're not going to wrestle with bodily struggles and challenges and weaknesses and propensities to sin and desires to rebel against God because of the earthly sinful nature that you have. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, 23, we have the first fruits of the spirit given to us in salvation. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, that's when the redemption process comes full circle. Your spirit is redeemed. Your soul is redeemed. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But yet we're stuck in these bodies of flesh with a sin nature. And that's why we wrestle as Paul describes. But imagine one day. God's going to redeem the body and you get a glorified body in such a way that all the wrestling with sin and the struggles of who you are in your humanity, it's all gone. You're released from it. And now you receive a glorified body where you are free from the desire and temptation to sin. And all your glorified body wants to do is cooperate with your glorified spirit within and to just honor God. For all of eternity and to worship and serve him forever. Paul thirdly says here in contrast, our current body is sown in weakness. And then he says, it's then raised, verse 43, in power. Again, the contrast, this present body is weakened physically. It's a weak frame. So it's prone to sickness, to disease, to illness, to health problems. This present body is weak in that it gets tired. It gets exhausted and wearied. Our present bodies struggle with being hot and cold. Our present body needs food and protection and all these things because it is free, you know, weak and temporary. And ultimately, this body just keeps weakening and weakening and weakening and weakening because that's the course of life. Our body continues to just weaken in our humanity so that what is buried ultimately of any person is a much, much weaker form than what they originally entered into this earth in. Because the body is prone to weakness and it gradually wears out in such a way. And so we're often buried in a frail, weakened condition because of the years of uses and some ways abuses of the human body. But Paul says the glorious thing is that body that's sown utterly weak, God's gonna do what he always does with weakness. God takes weakness and he brings his power to it. And he says the body is sown in weakness, but the new body will be empowered by God, resurrected with the resurrection power of Christ. And that new body is going to have incredible power that's not prone to any weakness anymore. It's not prone to shortcomings. It will have the very power of God operating in it in its resurrected form. So Paul says, verse 44, it is sown a natural body 
then raised a spiritual body. Then Paul clearly wants us to understand, look, there is a natural body, but he says, never forget, there is also a spiritual body. So again, he makes that distinction between the two types of bodies that we will all experience. There's a body we live in now to function on this earth, to express ourselves, and to experience life on the earth. But he says there is also coming a spiritual body in which we will live in forever. And the idea here is, as Paul's kind of laying these things out, is he's saying, look, there's a natural process that must happen to transition from the first body to the second body. And that is, he's saying, look, just like you have to plant a seed in the ground to get a tree to be produced, just like you have to plant and bury the tulip bulb in order for the tulip to be produced, he's saying, well, in the same way, death is a natural process that must happen so that we can get the upgraded version of the new body. And so we pass through that doorway in order to be able to experience the upgraded version. We're raised, he said, in a spiritual body where our new spiritual body gives us the body we've longed for that cooperates with honoring God. And notice the Bible's, if you could hear with this verse in me in verse 44, the Bible's repeated emphasis on a bodily existence in the eternal dimension. Do you notice the, the, the repeated reference? There's a natural body, but there's also a spiritual body. And, and the Bible wants us to see here that word body. The idea is in eternity, in the spiritual realm, it is not going to be this immat- immaterial existence. Often we hear spiritual realm, we think of spirits and ghosts. And so we think, oh, well, maybe it's going to kind of be like this mystical, ghost-like spiritual realm. Look, no, the Bible says there is going to be a spiritual realm, but there is a bodily, material, physical existence that we have in that realm. Jesus said this of himself in Luke 24 regarding his resurrected body. Listen to what he said after his resurrection. He said, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. In other words, Jesus found it important to say to his disciples, look, you're not staring at a ghost right now. I'm not just a spirit or a phantom like, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm in a physical frame. Touch me. Embrace me. See that I have a literal body, he says, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. So a physical body is what we will possess. It's just going to be a different drive system somehow in that new spiritual body. These present bodies right now, it's a blood drive system, right? The Bible speaks of flesh and blood. You know, you know, in the flesh and in the blood, the Bible says is where life is at. So, again, we have a flesh and blood system, blood and oxygen, and we burn oxygen, and then we produce carbon dioxide. This is a blood drive system that we live in now in these bodies. Interesting, Jesus says of his resurrection body, flesh and bones. He doesn't say flesh and blood. Why? Because it's a different type of body. It's still physical. It still have flesh and bone. It's, it's, not, it's not immaterial. It's a material, physical body, but somehow it's a spirit drive system. You're not going to have the same drive system that you have now. It's going to be sustained by the spirit of God in some way. Now, to me, the most exciting thing of the reality of a physical body in the eternal dimension is the very wonderful thing that, first of all, as I said before, we're going to have clear identities. We're not going to be just ghosts you know, wandering around. We're going to have physical identities. We're going to appear as we once did, knowing one another, recognizable. The only difference is we're going to have a greatly upgraded version. So let me encourage you this morning, that dream figure that you've been longing for, that still looks like you without Photoshop in your face, that may just be yours because you're going to get an upgraded version. And we're going to recognize one another only in perfected bodies. You know, one person asked, uh, I forget who it was, one of the old theologians before, you know, I'm really concerned. Am I going to recognize my loved ones when I get to heaven? And his theological answer, very deep, he said, do you think you're going to be more stupid in heaven than you are on earth? If you know someone on earth and recognize them, yes, you're going to recognize one another in heaven. But look, the glorious thing to me on top of that, having a physical body also means this. 
is that we're going to be able to physically embrace one another. And our loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord, you're not only going to see them and recognize them, but you're going to be able to embrace them and hug them and spend time with them again. There are some of us who have children who we never had a chance to hold and to raise and to spend time with. And and we're going to see them. And we're going to know that's my son or that's my daughter. And God's going to bless in that wonderful way as we have bodies that are recognizable and, and able to be able to experience these beautiful things. He says, there is a spiritual body. Paul says in verse 45 going on, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, who we know from the Bible is reference to Jesus Christ, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So God's word says, technically, there were only two perfect men who ever created and existed on this earth. Two men that ever lived in a body of flesh. The first Adam was created by God, but then he failed God. The second or the last Adam who we know according to Romans 5 as a reference to Jesus, the last Adam wasn't created by God. The last Adam was God. It was God in human flesh who took a physical human nature to himself to rescue mankind. And what the Bible tells us is these two Adams, Adam and Christ, were representatives of humanity. He quotes in verse 45 there from Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 how God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life the first Adam and it says that Adam became a living being so Adam gives to all of us in humanity our physical existence he gives us our physical bodies he gives to us physical life he's the head of humanity yet Adam also because he sinned and failed also passes on to us inherently a sin nature and mortality, the fact that life does wind down and that we all do die. But he says the good news is this. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, came to save humanity as the last representative of mankind to unwind everything that Adam caused to problems of us. He says the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That is, Jesus accomplished all he did as a man to offer us the spiritual life with God that Adam lost for us in the garden when he sinned. And Jesus came to restore that. Jesus is the one who gives to us as a life-giving spirit, not just physical life, but Jesus gives to us spiritual and eternal life, the ability to have an experience with God, the ability to possess the gift of eternal life. He's a life-giving spirit. We need to receive spiritual life from Jesus. John 5, Jesus said this, the Father has life in himself, And he's granted that same life-giving power to his son. For just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. And see, the only way to experience spiritual life, the only way to experience eternal life is through the life-giving spirit of Jesus giving that to us. The only way we got into this present earth is from Adam's line. And the only way to get into eternal life and to experience spiritual life is through the last Adam, and that is being in the line of Jesus, through Jesus giving to us spiritual life, because only he can impart spiritual life to us. That's why Paul says, verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then he says, afterward comes the spiritual. So notice, there's an order of life for humanity, first physical life or natural life and then after that comes the spiritual life in existence that is we're all born physically first and we live out a physical earthly natural existence for a set time but then he says we also must enter i have it circled in my bible notice that word he says we must then enter afterward into a spiritual realm The Bible clearly promises there is an afterlife. That's why Paul says here emphatically, afterward, the spiritual. There's a natural life, but there is something after this natural life. Afterward, he says, there is then the spiritual. We live forever. 
Now, where we live in the spiritual realm, heaven or hell, depends upon, listen, depends upon if we're born a second time. That's what determines where you end up in the spiritual realm after this life. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was an incredibly religious man, he was a Pharisee. He knew the word of God backwards and forward. He attended synagogue services. He said prayers. He had an outward religious lifestyle. And yet he came to Jesus because he sensed something is still missing. I'm doing all the religious routine. What's missing still in my soul? And it says he went to Jesus at night and Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see or experience the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time back into his mother's womb and be born? He was trying to process it logically, right? You mean be born? Go back to, I don't understand what you're saying. Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, the breaking of the water as a person's born physically and born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus said, in the same way you are experiencing earthly life right now, for one reason, you came through the narrow passage of physical birth. The stork didn't drop you off, Nick. You were born. Everyone experiencing physical life on this earth is doing so because they had a day, an hour, a moment they were born physically. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And he says, in the same way, if you want to experience the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God, you have to have a spiritual birth at some point. That has to happen. There's a second birth. It's a spiritual birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So again, we don't gradually get into right relationship with God. We don't work ourselves into right fellowship with God. The Bible says there must come a spiritual conversion moment. That is a moment when we recognize that we are sinful and guilty before a holy God and separated from God in our natural physical existence. We inherited from Adam who sinned and lost fellowship with God and that we are mortal and sinful and guilty and separated from God. And we realize that the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came, lived perfectly the way we can't live and then died sacrificially in our place taking the substitutional punishment upon himself for all of humanity's sin and then rose from the dead and overcame death, which we can't do on our own. And now he is alive and says to us, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father, but through me. And it's when we recognize that and wholeheartedly believe that and we come to Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. The Bible says that we experience spiritual birth. A birth happens, a spiritual conversion. So Jesus said, you must be born again. That determines where you end up in the spiritual realm after this life. A person must have a day in which they are born again. Paul then concludes here, verse 47, saying the first man was of the earth, made of the dust. And again, the Bible teaches that God took the dust of the earth, breathed into Adam's nostrils, the, the breath of life, the same 17 elements that are in the dirt, are basically about the same 17 elements that make up your physical body with a little bit of water and the breath of God blown into your life. So if we reduced your body, you're worth about a meal at Chick-fil-A. That's, yeah, so if you really think your body's important, that if we boil it down, that's about what it's worth. The same elements in the dirt is what we're made of with the breath of God in us. But then he says, verse 47, but the second man, Jesus, was the Lord from heaven, the perfect man. As was the man of the dust, so also those who are made of the dust, you and I. As is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we bear the image of Adam right now. We shall also one day, he says, bear the image of the heavenly man. So Adam is the prototype, the Bible saying, of this earthly body. We bear the image of Adam, the man of the dust. We bear his image right now, 
but he says one day the good news is Jesus in his resurrected body is the prototype of what we're one day going to experience. He says there in verse 48, he says, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. The idea is those who are heaven bound, those who are citizens of heaven because they've accepted Jesus Christ and their citizenship is now in heaven. And Paul indicates, even as we now bear the image of Adam's body, one day we're going to bear the image of Jesus' resurrected body. Look what he says at the end of verse 49. He says, we shall one day also bear the image of the heavenly man. Paul says in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. John writing says that when Jesus is revealed, we shall be like him. That is, the Bible tells us we shall bear the same image and body that Jesus has in his resurrected body now in heaven. So the best way to know what the resurrected body is going to be like is to look at the resurrected body of Jesus. Jesus' resurrected body is what our resurrected body is going to be like in some way. Jesus was recognizable. He was identifiable. Jesus had a material, physical body. Listen to this one. Jesus ate and drank, Luke 24, and not because he needed food to survive. So I think in heaven, it's calorie-free, eat for enjoyment. <laughs> love it. Love it. And your figure doesn't change. It's locked in forever. And Jesus' body wasn't bound by, by earthly, natural laws. Jesus would step through walls and appear and disappear. It's going to be a great upgrade. It's going to be fantastic what we one day enjoy. Look, let me say this morning, in conclusion, we should not use these current earthly bodies in such a way where we view our body like it's an idol to be served, to be worshipped. Instead, we should look at our current earthly body as simply a temporary instrument to be used to serve the Lord. Because the Bible says right here that one day our final destination as a Christian is we are going to bear the image of Jesus. We're going to be fully conformed to be like Christ, which means what? Right now, the process of the Spirit of God in your life is really primary. It's to conform you into the image of Jesus. So let me encourage you this morning. Don't focus on your self-image. Measure your life by how much are you becoming like Jesus? Because that's the end goal. Let's stand together. Let's pray.